Welcome to Big Bear Christian Center Sermon Audio. Join us this morning as Pastor Rob talks about those who've traded in their lives for Jesus. All of the people in this video, some familiar, they were all traitors. But not with a T, with a D. They traded their life in for the cause of the gospel. For what? For fame? For fortune? No, they traded it in to serve Jesus. No matter what the cost. And there's a gospel that's been preached at times that says if you give it all to God that you'll be blessed with money or with health or with great things. And that's just not always the case. One of the people that they mentioned in that was were the saints. And not saints as in the saints of God, but Nate Saint and Jim Elliott. We might be familiar with the five missionaries in Ecuador who went into the jungle in 1956. Quito, Ecuador, 1956. A family living there in that country because Nate Saint, the father, was a missionary pilot with Missionary Aviation Fellowship. And in 1956, in an effort to, to make peaceful contact with the Weodani Indians, they went into the jungle. Nate and four other missionaries, including Jim Elliott, who we may know that name most famous of all. And they went in to make contact with the Indians to establish a peaceful relationship. And instead, they were all killed. There's a movie, a couple of movies that came out that highlighted that. End of the Spear is one that you might be familiar with. It talked about that story. They were speared to death. Their bodies left on a sandy bank next to the river. It was a story that drew national attention in 1956. There's a a great book called Through the Gates of Splendor by Elizabeth Elliot that you could read or watch End of the Spear. Now, Nate had a son, and his his son's name was Steve, Steve Saint. And after the death of his father, the family moved back to Quito, Ecuador, where, where Steve actually attended school. And it was at that time that his aunt, Nate Saint's sister, along with Elizabeth Elliot, went back into the Indians, the very Indians that killed their husband and brother, to make a peaceful contact with them. And five years later, after a lot of prayer and effort, Elizabeth and Rachel, the sister of Nate Saint, Rachel Saint, were able to successfully reach out to the Indians. In fact, the Women missionaries lived with them in the same jungle out in the middle of Ecuador. So at 10 years of age, this young boy, thinking Josiah, 10 years old, began to live with the Wayadoni Indians, Wayadoni Indians in the jungle during the summers. He lived in the jungle with the very Indians that killed his father. As a young boy, he learned all about the jungle. He developed friendships with many of the tribe members. And believe it or not, in June of 1965, Babe, as they called him, was baptized. Steve Saint was baptized in the very river where his father was murdered by the Indians who did it. Two of the men who were responsible for the death of the missionaries, were the ones who baptized Steve Saint in the river. Is that amazing? 
I had the opportunity to hear Steve Saint and one of the Indians. One of the Indians, they came to a, a, a choir the fire event in San Francisco, and I got to he, hear the, the little Indian who was one of the men who had killed Jim Elliott and Steve Saint and the other three missionaries. And they had, had adopted Steve as like a son. Those Indians opened their heart to Christ. And so then after graduating from high school in Quito, Ecuador, Steve Saint, he moved back to America and he attended college. And after graduation, he went back to Ecuador and he worked there for a time. And he would return occasionally to the States and then back and then he would visit the Indians in the jungle. In 1994, Rachel, his aunt, died in Ecuador after 36 years of living with the Weodani Indians. 36 years. And he went back to Ecuador to bury her and it was them that the tribe asked Steve to move back to the jungle. And so he did. And he moved into the jungle. He took his family and he lived there from that time until 1995 developing a relationship. And in 1996, he actually felt like he needed to leave unless he would corrupt what was going on because they are coming to Christ and they were developing their own way of living and being independent. And rather than allow the tribe to become dependent upon American ways, he left, but he continued to work with the tribe for all of these years. And it was during one of these trips that he would fly in, just as his dad, to, to be with the Indians that the, the Wadoni tribe would said, why can't we have an airplane too? And he got this amazing idea to build airplanes that could go into the jungle. And so he formed an organization called ITEC, Indigenous People Technology and Education Center. And they would develop, and they've been working at developing different tools to help natives and missionaries. And one of the things that Steve Saint developed was a flying car. You can see it. It's called the Maverick. And it's a little, a little it looks like almost a go-kart. It has a big propeller in the back and a parasail that opens up. And you can drive and then just from about 20 miles an hour in a very short place, release the parasail and the plane, the flying car, takes off and can fly. And it was in developing one of these machines to help the Indians that there was a terrible accident and Steve fell and became a quadriplegic. They believed. He broke his neck and had no use. But healing began to come. This is just a couple of years ago. He ended up in a hospital. Today, even today, I went to his Facebook page, and he's healed quite a bit, but he's still working with iTech and sending teams into the jungle. He lost his father to the mission field, to the cause of Christ and friends. He spent many years in the jungle developing this technology. He lost his ability to live life freely. 
has a very difficult time, as he, as he said, even reaching into his pants to pull out a set of keys is excruciating and pain. And yet he continues to give to the Lord and serve him. Steve Saint is a traitor because he traded in everything for the cause of Christ. Jim Elliott, Nate Saint, Rachel, Elizabeth, and thousands and thousands and thousands of others have become traitors to give their lives to the Lord, to His plan. That brings us to John chapter 4. As we open our Bible, let's pray. Lord Jesus, open the Word of God to us. And open our hearts that we might understand it. God, I pray that through the Word today and through the visitation of Your Holy Spirit and through our prayer and devotions throughout the week, God, that You would Help us to see your way, your plan for our lives. God, I pray that you would help each of us today to learn to be a trader. And trade in our life for you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. In John chapter 4. We come across Jesus meeting the Samaritan woman at the well. And I want to read verses 1 through 9. Out of the King James says, Therefore, when the Lord knew that the Pharisees had heard that Jesus made and baptized more disciples than John, though Jesus himself did not baptize but his disciples, he left Judea and departed again to Galilee. But he needed to go through Samaria. So he came to a city of Samaria, Samaria which is called Sychar near the plot of ground that Jacob gave to his son Joseph. Now Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, therefore, being wearied from his journey, sat thus by the well, and it was about the sixth hour. A woman of Samaria came down to draw water, and Jesus said to her, Give me a drink, for his disciples had gone away into the city to buy food. Then the woman of Samaria said to him, How is it that you, being a Jew, ask a drink from me, a Samaritan woman? For Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. And we're going to stop there for a moment. We've got a a few things that I want to point out just so we understand here. One is the sixth hour. The the day would start at 6 a.m. So this puts it around noon. And Jesus is in a place called Samaria. And it said here at the end that that it just gave us a brief picture here. It says, she said, why are you asking me? The Jews have no dealings with the Samaritans and Samarians. And, and it's not true that they wouldn't have any dealings, but they would never eat together nor drink from the same plate or, or drink the same bowl or eat from the same plate. And so Jesus is talking to this woman, and it's very unusual. Also, Jew, Jewish men would not spend time and, and engage a woman. So Jesus is breaking a few rules. There's a couple problems here, and she's very surprised at that. 
Now, and so the Samaritans, we, we, we've heard about them. We, you might know this, but the Samaritans happened because the Assyrians came in after the, the Jewish, the children of Israel were deported. Some of the Jews stayed in the area, in this area of Samaria. And the Assyrians began to come in and marry with them. And they intermarried. So really the Samaritans were half Jew and half Assyrian. And, and you can read in, in Kings what was going on at the time, way back right after the exile, is that the lions were coming in and eating all the people because they weren't obeying God. And so they said, well, let's get some Jewish priests to go in there and teach you, teach the people how to please God so that, that God's vengeance will come off. And so the Assyrians were marrying, intermarrying with the Israelites and they were being destroyed because they were worshiping falsely. And so they brought in some priests and began to establish somewhat of Jewish tradition. But they were worshiping God on the high places. They weren't worshiping at the temples. And so we have a crossbreed is what we have. People who didn't go to the temple, they worshiped on the mountains. They were half Jewish, half Assyrian. They were of mixed blood. And the Jews didn't want to have anything to do with the Samaritans. And so going back up to verse 4. There's a, a great verse here because here's Jesus. He is not mandated to do anything by man nor time. He's the king of kings. And in verse 4 it says he went through Samaria. He says he needed to go through Samaria. Well, the Jews would work very hard not to go through Samaria. There was a road around. Now, Samaria was a shortcut to, to go to the two places, but there was another road that went further around called the King's Road, and most of the time they would actually travel the longer route so the Jews wouldn't have to go through Samaria. But Jesus said, John says that Jesus needed to go through. Where was that need? There was a mandate, a spiritual mandate upon Jesus that he needed to go. He had a divine appointment with the Samaritan woman. And a divine appointment needing to teach his disciples that God, that Jesus, didn't just come for the Jews, but he was also coming for the Samaritans and the Gentiles. And so he goes and he begins to, to speak with the Samaritan woman. And it starts very simply. Give me a drink of water. And there's a little part in here it's, it's important to see that in, in, in verse, uh, verse 6, it says he was wearied from his journey. For any of us who wrestle with that, was Jesus God or was Jesus man? God doesn't get wearied. But man does. Jesus walked on this earth as a man and he was tired. And he asked the woman for some water. And that's when verse 9 says, How is it that you, being a Jew, ask a drink from me, a Samaritan woman? For Jews have no dealings with the Samaritans. Now, Jesus was very capable of getting water. In fact, he could have turned anything into water if he wanted. But he had a divine appointment with this woman. And so let's read verse 10 through 15 and go to this next little section. And Jesus answered and said to her, If you knew the gift of God and who it is who says to you, Give me a drink. You would have asked, and he would have given you living water. And the woman said to him, Sir, you have nothing to draw with. The well is deep, and wh that where then will you get this living water? 
Are you greater than our father Jacob, who gave us the well and drank from it himself, as well as his son and his livestock? And Jesus answered, Whoever drinks of this water will thirst again, but whoever drinks of the water that I shall give him will never thirst. But the water that I shall give him will become in him a fountain of water, springing up into everlasting life. And the woman said to him, Sir, give me this water that I may not thirst, nor come here to draw water. Jesus is evangelizing. He turns a corner and begins to speak to her because he wants her to know the true God. He wants her to know that through Jesus is living water. And, and I want to back up to the first section. It said it was the sixth hour, and I forgot to mention that. Why was that important? The people, the, the ladies wouldn't come out to draw water at noon. They would go out in the morning. Not in the heat of the day. But the woman goes out at noon. And you know why? Because she was despised by the other people. And she went out there to get the water when no one else was there. Because we're about to find out that, of course, they're all Samaritans, so they don't despise her for that. But she was living unrighteously. She was a castaway. And so Jesus begins to cut to the chase here, and, and he says right to her, if you knew the gift of God, you would have asked, and he would give you living water. Jesus is beginning to talk about a spiritual principle. See, last week we talked about the kingdom of God and the kingdom of man. And the reason that so many unbelievers don't understand is because their, their minds cannot understand the things of the Spirit. And so here's the same thing. Jesus is trying to talk about spiritual things. And the woman says, well, I just don't quite get this. You don't even have anything to draw your water with. Huh? Help me, help me understand this. And Jesus says, you know, whoever drinks this water, they're going to be thirsty again. It only lasts for a little while. But whoever drinks of the water that I will give him, spiritual water, the Holy Spirit, everlasting life, they will never thirst. The water that I shall give him will become in him a fountain of water springing up to everlasting life. And we see verse 15. I don't think she gets it yet. Well, wow, that sounds good. Give me some of that water so I don't have to keep coming back here. It's like some of us and some people that we've come in contact with, we try to share the gospel, try to share what happens in Jesus, and they, they don't understand us. They say, well, that would be, that'd be really good to be able to come to your church and just have a friend. You invite someone to church, they go, you know, I, I could really use a friend. And that happens in, in church, too. You should hopefully have friends in here. But when you invite someone to church, to your life group, into relationship with you, you're not inviting them into just a friendship with you or with somebody else. You're inviting them into spiritual relationship truly with Jesus. So, you know, I don't want you to just come to church and meet somebody and have a nice Sunday. If you come and be transformed, your life will be changed. And people are still looking at church or Christianity as what will it give me in the natural how will this help my life? Boy, if I had a church family, maybe they could help me pay my bills. If I had a church family, maybe they could meet a need that I have. See, we don't always get it. But Jesus keeps pointing, no, this is a spiritual thing. And so he, he turns the corner here in verse 16. He turns the corner and he says... 
go call your husband and come here. You want this water that you never have to, to come to the well for? Go get your husband and come back. And she's honest. And she says, I have no husband. And Jesus said, you're right. You've had four, five husbands, and the one who's with you now is not your husband. He goes right into the heart of this, this broken woman. Now, it's interesting that, that I found the disciples were with Jesus, but they left to go get food. You know why Jesus didn't want the disciples around? Because he knew that she wouldn't be honest. And she knew, he knew, that if the disciples were there, they'd be looking at him and looking at her with disdain and disgust because she was a woman and she was Samaritan. And Jesus knew that in order to minister to this one, she needed to feel as safe as possible. And she begins to reveal her heart and then Jesus just goes right for the the core issue. And he says, you've had five husbands and the one you're living with isn't your husband. That would make most people then want to have nothing to do with her. But he stayed. In that moment right there, she began to understand that though he knew all about her past, that there was grace. That he didn't judge her. For the first time, maybe. Didn't wonder what other people was really thinking about her. It was such a powerful lesson we need to learn in this. Jesus goes beyond cultural norms, beyond denominational rules, and ministers and loves somebody who needs love. And that's what God is calling us to be and do all the time. We're not called to judge. We're not called to be stuck in our own thoughts and ways. We're called to, to love and to give God's grace. But yet he doesn't just sugarcoat everything and say everything is fine. He says, you need to have eternal life. If you'll just ask, I'll give you spiritual water, living water that will end in an everlasting life. Now, this conversation goes much to the place that they go with us when we're trying to share Jesus with somebody. So we bring up the big topic, whatever it is, the spiritual side And they want to avoid it. Sir, I perceive that you're a prophet. And then changes the subject. Our fathers worshipped on this mountain. And you Jews say that in Jerusalem is the place where one ought to worship. Huh? I mean, Jesus just opened up her life. How would he know any of this? But she's not going there. She's just a little closed down. And so she wants to change the subject. But Jesus, being the master evangelist, says, Woman, believe me, verse 21, the hour is coming when you will neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem worship the Father. You worship what you don't know. We know what we worship, for salvation is of the Jews. But the hour is coming and is now when true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. The Father is seeking such to worship Him. God is spirit, and those who worship Him must worship 
in spirit and in truth. Jesus is pulling them together in an amazing way. He's not pushing her away. He says, the Father is seeking. And he's talking to her about the same Father. Father God. And he's reaching out to her every way he can. He's not judging. He's saying, I know all about your sin, and yet I'm still having a conversation with you. I know you're a woman and a Samaritan, but I have grace for you. I don't judge you. And then I want to tell you that if you'll have this living water, if you will receive that, you can worship the Father in spirit and in truth together. It goes on for just a couple more verses before the disciples show up. And the woman says back to him in verse 25, I know that Messiah is coming, who is called the Christ. When he comes, he'll tell us all things. And I'm not sure exactly what this is. This sounds like one more ploy to say, I, 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 you know what, whatever. I can't go there with you. you just, I'm going to just bring the Messiah up. And I don't know if what you're saying is true, but the Messiah will tell us. I don't want to have this conversation anymore. That's the way I, I see it. And Jesus said, but I'm him. I am the Messiah. And I will give you everlasting life. And I will give you living water. And that's Jesus' message to the woman at the well. And that's our message to the world. Jesus showed us this example of how we need to love the world. And not be afraid to cross boundaries. Not be afraid to go into places that are less desirable. Or, but we need to reach the world with His love and His compassion and His grace and declare that Jesus is the only way to have eternal life. The rest of this passage is another evangelistic side and in verse 27, the disciples come back, and I'm just going to, I won't read it all, but it says the disciples come back, and, and they're marveling that he's talking to this woman, but they didn't say anything. And the woman leaves, and she leaves her water pot right there, and she goes into town, and she says, come see a man who told me all things that I ever did. Could this be the Christ? And so here's this woman who's despised, but she's known. It's her town. And she goes in to find the rest of the, the people. And she said she found the men of the city. That's kind of interesting. She, didn't, she went to the men probably because they knew her and I don't think the women liked her. She must have had a way with the men. She had five husbands. So she's hanging out with the men. Come see a man who told me all things that I ever did. And so they, they went out. And they came to Jesus. And we see the disciples are beginning to have a, have a conversation, saying, you need to eat. And Jesus says, you know, I have, I have food. My food is to do the will of him who sent me. And we find out from reading the rest of the chapter that the men come and they hear of Jesus. And they declare to her that we, we don't believe just because you told us something. We believe because... We've experienced Jesus. See, the woman is also 
a great evangelist. Her life is beginning to get touched. And she doesn't know a whole lot yet. But she goes to the men, to the people of the city and says, listen, there's somebody who's going to change your life. You need to come out and hear them. And when they come, they're changed by Jesus. They weren't changed because of her words. They were just changed by her invitation to meet, to go and meet God. You know, next, next week, we talked about a little bit last week, is Friend Sunday. Invite a friend to church. And so here we are in John chapter 4, learning about how Jesus went and shared faith, if you will, and the Samaritan woman. Can we cross the boundaries and the bridges and the issues to go to our neighbors and bring a message of grace and hope? You know, in the moments of evangelizing, going out and sharing our faith, God sometimes comes and moves in a way just like with Jesus. And he might give a spiritual gift in order to minister more appropriately. He might tell you something about the person you're, you're talking to. And I don't know if that's ever happened to you. Maybe be sharing and all of a sudden just kind of feel a burden and say, is, is everything all right? And they begin to cry or something. Has anyone, anyone ever experienced a moment like that? You go, wow. Well, that's supernatural. Just as Jesus tapped into the supernatural to say, no, you had five husbands. And so as we go out, we might have a moment like that where Jesus is going to put something on our heart, maybe something to talk about or something to share. But he wants us to go and he wants us to go with grace and love and compassion. But he wants us to point to him. See, we have to take the next step. Some of us, I look around the room and I think, boy, there's a lot of loving, gracious people in here. And and sometimes if, if you're like me, it's it's kind of easy to show love and grace to people. For the most part, that's something that God has given me a gift to. But you know what's harder? Pointing it back to God. Sometimes it's easy just to love somebody, to share, just to be kind to them. For me, that's not real difficult. But the next part is a little bit more intimidating. To actually say the reason that I have grace is because of the change that happened in my life. Would you come with me so I can introduce you to the person who knew everything about me? Because the reason I have grace is not because I'm such a great person. The reason I have grace is because God had grace on me. Would you come to church? Would you come to my life group? Would you want to have a cup of coffee so I can tell you about the one and the reason that I have any grace and love in my heart? Because outside of God, I wouldn't have any. There's a there's a wonderful sayings. People don't care how much you know until they know how much you care. I believe it was was Cho who who said something to the effect of share Jesus with everyone by all means and if necessary use words. That's 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 a wonderful thought. But if they don't know your motivation, they just might think you're a really nice person. You're just a really good person. At some point, they need to know what motivates you. Why you were changed. 
It doesn't have to be in that first encounter. You don't have to shove the gospel, but people need to know why you're different. That there was a spiritual transaction that happened in your life and it was because of God and that he loved you. And what's great is we can be just like the Samaritan woman or, or Nathaniel, who we already learned about, who, who we don't know a whole lot, but hey, will you come with me? I want to introduce you to someone. I want to take you where you can learn more about this person who knew everything about me and changed my life. In this chapter four, and there's so much here, we're, we're going to be here again next week and touch on some of the other things. Jesus is having a conversation with his disciples. Now, let's get the timing. Disciples come back. They're offering Jesus some food, and he begins this discourse. Meanwhile, the woman leaves and goes to town and brings everybody back with her. They're very curious. They're waiting for the Messiah, too. And Jesus has a discourse with his disciples. Verse 34, he says, My food is to do the work, the will of him who sent me, and to finish his work. Oh, if that were only true for us. It was only true for me. I might be skinnier. But to really be satisfied and to be so in love with God and so busy about that we actually really almost forget to eat because we're just enamored and caught up with with relationship with the Lord. But verse 35, do you not say there's still four months and then comes the harvest? And right then he says, behold, I say to you, lift up your eyes and look at the fields. They are already white for harvest. And I'm not sure about this, but this is the picture I get. Right then, as he's trying to help the disciples to see this whole interaction, the disciples were Jews and they didn't even know why they were in Samaria, let alone talking to a, a woman who had less than a desirable life. And here she comes with the people of the town. And Jesus said, Look up, the fields are white with harvest. And here was this crowd of people coming out to see Jesus and Jesus made it real clear they need me they need God and they need to be harvested for the kingdom of God right now he goes and he talks about reaping and sowing we've been praying a lot for our valley and and God's just revealing again that that he's planted us here as a congregation at this side of town, in the east side of the valley, the east valley, if you will. And he's given us a mission field all out here. Do you know where the, the next closest church is? Four Square and the little Baptist church over by Community Market. God has placed us here at the east valley. Look into Lake Williams and Irwin Lake and Shea Meadows and Sugarloaf and Baldwin Lake. The harvest is ripe. People need Jesus. They need living water. They don't need another plan. They don't need just a physical fix. They think they do. We get phone calls here regularly. Can you help us out with a little money? I need to pay a bill. I need to do this. That's what they think they need, but they need living water. They need a spiritual change in their life. They just don't understand. And we're all the ones who are going to bring that spiritual change to them. God's calling us to go out into the harvest field and love people and give them grace and point to the Lord. We don't have to have degrees in theology. We don't have to be trained in evangelism. We just know 
need to know the person who knew everything there was to know about us. The person who changed our lives. And just share that with others. But it's important. When Jesus, before he ascended, we see two different verses. Mark 16, 15 and Matthew chapter 28. And he said, go into all the world. All the world and make disciples. Preach the gospel. It's our job is to go out and help people come to know Christ and then grow in their faith. Not just to share a message and leave them, but to go and make a disciple to preach the gospel. And we see Jesus's form of doing it. Love, compassion, grace. Crossing the, the borders. And we get a little bit of relief knowing that we don't have to know everything. We just have to know who changed our lives so that we can help others come to that same understanding and knowledge. As we saw in the video and even heard in the time of worship that God just put together. Appreciate Robert's leadership and and leading that. There's a part that we have to do and it's surrendering. We have to be willing to give it to the Lord because he wants us to become traitors. In that video, there was just a, even a simple one. They, they were listing people that we knew about, but they were listing people we've never heard about. I like the one he simply traded in his Starbucks. I'll try not to look over at Jesse. Traded in their Starbucks for 40 days. Only 40. So, you know, if, if God calls you to do that, trade in their, their, their Starbucks for 40 days and donated that money to help build a well in a foreign country. You know, God can call us in a lot of different ways, but he is calling us to be traitors. And you have to pray and talk to him, say, Lord, what are you asking me to trade in? You know, we give him our whole, we say, Lord, I surrender all. I surrender all. I think we should probably change the words to that hymn. I surrender some. Because that's probably more truthful. But God can start with some. He can start with some. Can we be a traitor? Can we be open and close to the Lord and have Him put upon our heart, this is what I want you to trade. And He may call one of us to be a innate saint. Or He may call one of us to give up our Starbucks. Whatever He calls us, though, will we be faithful to answer that call? To give Him what we have? Remember the story of the the, the child who, and they were taking the offering, which we'll be doing in just a few mo- few minutes. And they came by, and the kid had been hearing, listening in Sunday school, and similar messages about surrendering. And and they came by with a little plate, and the little boy says, "Can you put it on a little bit lower?" Usher, no, little little lower, please. No, all lower. And so finally, the usher gets down and puts the plate on, and he, "What do you want?" And the little kid steps into the offering. He was giving his whole life, not just his quarter. 
Can we be traders? Some of us will have to trade in our own pride, our own plans, our own ways of doing things. We may trade something in to reach the lost where maybe a friend, maybe even a Christian would say, why are you spending time with them? That Samaritan woman. We trade it in and say, no, I'm going to trade whatever God leads me. I'm willing to give it to him. I think we should stand as we close in prayer. We'll be to close the service and this this time in the word and prayer. And if any of this is spoken to you, I think it'd be quite appropriate to to get into a position. And one of the things I believe about lifting of our hands, one of the reasons that I do it. It was very simple. My youth pastor said, what, if, what would you do if somebody came in and put a gun in your back? Why? I'm defenseless. I surrender. So part one of the ways of lifting our hands is because we're saying, I surrender. I'm not holding anything back. And so if this has touched you at all this morning as it has me, let's, let's get into that posture in our heart, and you can even do it physically of surrender. And say, Father, Lord Jesus, we, we know the stories. We know the accounts of people who've given their all for you. Father, this morning we need to surrender. God, we want to be a traitor. We want to trade in our own ways, our own thoughts, our own plans. For the cause of Christ. God, but that's a difficult, a difficult thing for us in different ways. God, we need your strength. Lord, help us to be willing to surrender to you. To give you our time, our resources, our plans. Not even knowing what might come around the corner. But Lord, we want to see the kingdom of God established. We want to see the harvest won to you. God, we know that our neighbors are lost and they're broken and they're dying. And we know that the Bible says that they will not inherit eternal life apart from you. God, help us to receive the call to go and love them. Share you with them. God, help us to surrender. Thank you, Jesus. Father, we surrender to you and ask that you would use us. And Lord, we know that you will 
Give us your Holy Spirit. You've deposited the Holy Spirit into our life and you'll strengthen us and walk with us each and every day. And you'll see us through. Through the storms, even as the song that we sang today said. Come. We invite you. We surrender to you in Jesus' name. Amen. hope you've enjoyed listening to this message. For more resources and other messages, please visit our website at www.bigbearchristiancenter.org. Thank you and God bless you.